0: After day one of creation, the earth was anything but an inviting domicile for man, dark and covered in surging water and a shroud of fog or or mist. On day two of creation, God did something important that set the stage for what would follow. He took the first step in creating an atmosphere. For the planet, thus establishing an environment in which plants and beasts and eventually man could thrive, piece by piece, step at a time. So God's methodical, logical piecing together of his creation continues apace. There had to be rain for the growing things. So in verses 6 to 8, he established the first heaven, an expanse separating moisture above from moisture on the surface. Now there would be clouds from which rain would fall to sustain vegetation. It would do no good to create man before the growing things, for then he would have nothing to eat. So, on day three, God sets the stage for this by revealing or creating dry land. He then wastes no time at all in creating grass and plants and fruit trees, all in their mature state, bearing mature fruit and seed for the continuation of each species. Now, this is an important distinction. God is not planting the seeds of creation. Whether mountains or streams, growing things, animals or man, He is speaking mature, developed earth components and inhabitants into full existence. And He is accomplishing this in days, not in years or millennia. Along with raising the clouds above the earth by the creation of the expanse during day two, so that rain could now fall upon the earth, the expanse was necessary to permit sunlight to fall upon the earth. Beginning in day four, to sustain the growing things created in day three. Now, as to this rain could now fall upon the earth, in a moment we're going to be looking at Genesis 2.6. When we do, I'll be adding some thoughts on this business of falling rain during creation. But let's read our passage first. Genesis 1, verses 9 to 13.
1: Then God said, Let the waters of the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seeds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day.
0: So let's dig into verse 9. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. That is, it happened right away. The beginning of verse 9 is straightforward and easily understandable. The waters below the heavens... Are the surging waters still upon the surface of the earth? On the previous day, God had separated from these waters the waters, the vapors or mists that would become earth's clouds. The rest of the verse, however, is a bit more of a challenge to, to nail down. Let the waters be gathered into one place. Oh, did I? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Linda and I are reaching the age where we need to I keep saying, "We need to do this, we need to do this in the house before we're too old and feeble to do it ourselves." (Laughter) My brain is going fast. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thanks. Thanks for that. I have that to look forward to. Okay, let the waters be gathered into one place. We could interpret into one place as meaning that all the water on the earth was removed to dwell in only one singular place. Like that. Although the Congress of commentators all seem to agree that the better interpretation would be that this means that the water was shifted to one place and the dry land shifted to another place. In other words, there's now separation between the two. As Albert Barnes puts it, that is evidently into a place apart from that designed for the land. They also seem to agree that this refers not just to what we would term the oceans, although he does call it seas, uh, but all water, including rivers and streams and lakes, etc. In other words, water is now put in its place. Wherever it is, water is put into its place. And separate from that is land. So once again, God is separating. First light from darkness, verse 4. Then creating the expanse to separate the waters, verse 6. Now separating the waters of the earth from the dry land, verse 9. And let the dry land appear. I've previously mentioned that we cannot say with certainty whether this means that in the moment God creates the dry land, or that the land has always been beneath the water. The, the land that has always been beneath the waters now rises to reveal itself. If I were forced to choose, I would say the latter to be the case. Primarily from the way it's written. The verse seems to suggest it. It could have said something like: Then God said, Let there be dry land. Poof, there it is. But it doesn't say that. It says, Let the dry land appear and there's more evidence for this found in the Psalms turn to Psalm 104 please <clears throat> Psalm 104 verses 5 to 8.
1: foundations, so that it will not totter forever and ever. Thou didst cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the sound of thy thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down, to the
0: place which thou didst establish for them. Well that's the original in ASB, isn't it? Huh? Yeah. The the these and thous are still there. They left them in the Psalms. Um, So that seems to suggest that they're there under the water. The mountains came up, the valleys. Um, That passage would seem to confirm that the dry land had been beneath the waves all the time. But we have to be honest about this. It is found in poetic scripture, which cannot always be interpreted as stating cold fact. It means we must be cautious with it, with using this as a a proof text, as it were. Nonetheless, it describes not just an emerging of dry land, but a convulsive reordering of the earth's surface. And this would help explain the supposed aging of the earth that we discussed earlier. Here's what Leopold has to say about it. Surely in the course of these gigantic upheavals, not catastrophic in nature because they involve organization rather than disruption, there was a tremendous amount of geologic formation. In fact, it would be perfectly safe to assume that all basic and all regular formations were disposed of in this day's work. As a result, indeed, no record of the rapidity with which certain formations took place is written upon the various formations. For vast as these formations were, they were controlled by the orderly operations of divine omnipotence. And by these potentialities, no doubt, which the Spirit, quote, hovering over the face of the waters, end quote, had implanted. I love that picture. I forget which session I was in. It was one, the Spirit over the face of the waters, and it—it's it, a picture of the Spirit beginning to do in this brand new creation. What he's still doing today—he's working, he's creating, he's part of the creative process. We we can't even come to Christ without the work of the Spirit in us. And he initiates it. We don't. So it's a, it's a wonderful picture of the triunity of the Godhead working together on this creation. Verse 10. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. This is, that's, that's God saying... This is the way I want it. And once more, God names what he has just created. That which has just been exposed, that which will become the foundation for growing things, he names earth. A Hebrew word which, similar to Shemayim, which is the Hebrew word translated heaven, is flexible enough to mean anything from the globe to a country on that globe down to the soil and even dust. So it's a flexible word. The word is Eretz, E-R-E-S. In contrast now to the dry land, God names the contained waters seas. The plural Hebrew Yamim, the root means to roar. That's good, huh? In other words, the, the surging, roaring waves of the water. And after naming these two earthly components, these two, uh, T-W-O, not 2-T-O, and after naming these two earthly components, God sees that they are good. Step by step, God is bringing order to his creation. Verse 11, five verses today. Count them. It will be necessary from time to time as we proceed through chapter one to harmonize portions of it with portions of chapter two. Specifically, here verses five and six in chapter two. And regarding this harmonizing, even though a cursory comparison of the two chapters seems to present a contradiction or at least a quandary. It's not difficult to harmonize the two, but one does need to burrow beneath the surface of our translations to do so. It's on the surface that there seems to be a problem. We kind of scratch our heads, Well, wait a minute, I thought it said, but when you get below the surface, which is the good part, that's why we're here, then, then it becomes clear. So verse 11 in chapter 1 reads, Then God said... Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. (coughs) Chapter 2, beginning with verse 4, can be interpreted as being not a reiteration of chapter 1, but as filling in some of the missing details. Some of them. At the same time, however, it does not follow the strict day by day timeline of chapter one. Chapter one, we could chart out. I thought about doing this. I mean, day one, this happened, this happened, this, and day two, this happened, this. I mean, it's clockwork, very systematic. But chapter two is not written that way. And as such, it's difficult, if not foolhardy, to draw explicit time marks between the two chapters. It, 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 starting out, I thought, well, let's see here. I'll, I want to chart this. I want Okay, here's chapter one. Chapter two sticks this in, and then we're back to chapter one, and then chapter two. It doesn't work that way. I threw that out the window as well. In a general sense, we can say that chapter two supplements chapter 1 but it also lays the groundwork for the events of chapter 3 as loophole expresses the truth of the matter however is simply this the account of chapter 2 does not aim to present a complete creation story nor is the time sequence followed by the author moses Rather, those supplementary facts essential to the right evaluation of chapter 3 are given in a sequence which is entirely logical. The stage is being set for the tragic drama of the next chapter. The things enumerated by the author as appearing on the stage, as it were, need not be listed in the order in which they were placed there. So what he means by that is that some of chapter 2 is not necessarily in order. We, we experience this in the book of Revelation. You don't really take that paragraph by paragraph as a timeline. Things are kind of jumbled up at times. Man will not be created until day six. So those plants created for the brand new soil of earth in day three, in chapter one, will be on their own for a few days. It must be vegetation that does not require human intervention and husbandry. And we can see that when we dig beneath the surface of the text. That's why I'm here. Oh boy. In verse 11, that we're in chapter 1 still, verse 11 of chapter 1, the words translated vegetation, desi, d-e-s-e in the Hebrew. It means grass or moss. It's, think of it as the low carpet of the earth. The, the second word is plants, iseb, herbs, grass, weeds. And then fruit trees, pries, trees that bear offspring. And by fruit, that, when you read fruit here in this passage in chapter 2, that doesn't, I mean, it's not just apples and pears and cherries. That's anything it can be uh what we call grain historically has been called corn. They just called all grains corn and and that would be fruit, so it's not from a tree, but that's the idea, so it could be acorns or or walnuts or whatever, in other words, with the possible exception and i possible just. Exception of the fruit trees, the vegetation created in day three was of a sort that was what we could term wild, or at least uncultivated by man. It's just out there, and trust me, weeds can grow just fine without any help from man. Do you so, think there was weed? yeah, that second word is tra- is mm-hmm. sta- is. I Well, you know what they say about um terrace. One man's terrorist is another man's uh what Freedom Fighter. Freedom fighter thank you. A weed just a plant growing where you don't Yeah. That's right. Any gardener knows that. It's true, milkweeds even have Well
1: now. there's a lot of them you can
0: eat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we used
1: to think sunflowers
0: are weeds. Weed a weed just means you don't want it in where it's growing. No. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> You're, get his name. <clears throat> no, I think God says, I'll use that. You know, same thing with bugs. Oh, gnats in the summer. Oh, flies but they serve a purpose. God made them. They serve a purpose. One of our close friends, Woody, we welcome him with open arms even though he's destroying, burrowing underneath our drive. Some people put out poison for him. Some people shoot him. He's our bud. We give him a name, Woody. One man's pest is another man's friend. They're cute as bugs, especially when they stand up. Groundhogs. Groundhogs. Woodchucks, groundhogs, same thing. It's better to say Woody than Chucky. (laughs) Now, turn to chapter 2. Verse 4 in chapter 2 describes the state of creation prior to day 3. The NIV alone, and I'm sorry Renee isn't here today, the NIV alone in our common versions offers a misleading picture in verse 5. Here's how the NIV reads in verse 5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. It's not what the text says. The rest of our versions do a better job translating the text. Here's verse 5 in the LSB. Now, no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet grown. For Yahweh God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Okay, let's pause here and talk about this rain. Rain falling upon the earth. There's a school of thought that declares that rain did not fall upon the earth until the flood one proponent of this is john c wickham who wrote the genesis flood and i have cited him before the evidence many give for this position is that it was after the flood god created the first rainbow that is no rainbow no rain well i'm from the midwest it rains all the time. When we used to have rain, it rains all the time without a rainbow. That's a poor way to, that's poor proof that there was no rain. You can have a rainbow without rain. See it all the time. Yeah, yeah. But you can have rain without a rainbow too. Especially in matters so ancient and mysterious as the earliest days of creation, I'm loath to be dogmatic insisting that my interpretation is the only true one, and here I'll take that path. When it comes to Bible study, one never knows what one, especially a layman, will discover tomorrow that one does not know today. Even so, I am not alone in my interpretation regarding rain earlier than the flood. In addition to Leupold, Peter Lang and Kyle Indelish are two more examples. Both agree that not only was this period when there was no rain upon the earth momentary in the early early days of creation, but, citing Job 36.27, what could be described here is an account of ground mist ascending to then fall back upon the earth as rain. In any case, my position is that rain did indeed fall upon the earth, especially after man was created to tend the crops. Now, let's return to verse 5 in chapter 2. Here the operative words are different from verse 11 in chapter 1. Here it is shrub of the field, and I know I'll mispronounce this. The Hebrew is Siak hasadeh. It means field. Shrub or bush, plant of the field, eseb hasadeh, field plants, herb or even grass. Remember, wheat is a grass, right? Mm-hmm. Corn is a grass, isn't it? Don't stare back at me like that, isn't it? Yes, it's a grass. yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, Corn is a grass. sure. That is, none of these cultivated vegetation of the prepared and planted field had yet been created because they required regular rain from the clouds and man to tend the field of crops. Man has not been created yet. So early vegetation didn't need him. The difference between Chet and I, I realize this can get confusing. That's why, by the way, Pause again. Should I keep doing the handouts? What's the consensus on that? Are they helpful? Are yeah, yeah. they helpful? Okay. OK, good. Uh, I mean, Linda said she was, but can't trust a wife, you know. Good. Um, and again, you don't have to, but if you happen to want to save them and let me bind them afterwards, that's fine. I'll be happy to do that. OK. I realize this gets confusing, going back and forth, chapter 1, chapter 2, and what they mean. I it took a while for me to digest it. The wild, uncultivated vegetation described in verse 11 in chapter 1 had been created. The difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2, then, is the difference between vegetation that occurs in the wild and that which occurs by reason of man's cultivation the former the widespread plain of the earth the broad expanse of land the latter the latter a field of arable land soil fit for cultivation which forms only a part of the earth or ground the shrub of the field consists of such shrubs and tree-like productions of the cultivated land as man raises for the sake of their fruit their crops and the herb of the field, all seed-producing plants, both corn or grain and vegetables, which serve as food for man and beast. Remember, man was created a vegetarian. It's only after the flood that he becomes a meat-eater. God gives him permission to do that. Verse 5 then of chapter 2 adds a little more information to the setting in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1, that is day 3. Verse 6 in chapter 2 explains how the earliest vegetation survived without rain or tending by man. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Now again, getting back to my sidebar there are those who claim that that described in verse 6 was all that was there to water the ground and plants until the time of the flood. I disagree with that. It's difficult to say whether verse 6 speaks of the vegetation in chapter 1 or that in chapter 2. Even so, it speaks of a time when the full atmospheric infrastructure was not yet in place and man was not yet on the scene. Because of that, I would lean toward it applying to chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. But it's important to remember that Moses' agenda, as it were, in chapter 2, is much different from chapter 1. It's really two two different things. Chapter 2 does does not just continue on after 1 in the same vein. They're different. In chapter 1, he is setting forth the timeline of creation. We see that clearly. This happened, then this happened, etc. In chapter 2, he's setting the stage for man's tragic fall even though the subsequent, even the subsequent flooding of the earth, there's, there's hints about the flooding of the earth. The focus in one is the physical creation. The focus in two is on man. Back to our text. The word translated stream or mist, depending on your version, in verse 6, we're in chapter 2, verse 6, The word stream or mist is ed, E-D-H. Now David Guzik seems to associate this with the vaporous mists that blanketed the earth before the creation of the expanse, verse 6 in chapter 1. But that can't be. Since vegetation was not created until after the expanse was created. And the clouds were lifted off the earth. In both instances, we must remember that what God is establishing is a fully developed system of vegetation for the earth. Here's how Kyle and Delish discuss it. Moreover, we must not picture the work of creation as consisting of the production of the first Tender germs, which were gradually developed into herbs, shrubs, and trees. We've got to remember that. Linda and I are cheap. We don't like to spend a lot of money on anything. So when we want to plant a tree, we get, we get one of these. And, and we dig a hole and we put it in the ground. And we have to put a cage around it for our buddy, Woody and the deer and put a cap on it. But it it takes years. Takes years. And if it's a fruit tree, oh my. It'll take a decade. I mean it'll take a long time to bear fruit. That's not what God did. He didn't plant the germs of creation. He planted creation. Boom. Done. Mature. On the contrary, we must regard it as one element in the miracle of creation itself. That at the word of God, not only tender grasses, but herbs, shrubs, and trees sprang out of the earth, each ripe for the formation of blossom and the bearing of seed and fruit, without the necessity of waiting for years before the vegetation created was ready to blossom and bear fruit. Even if the earth was employed as a medium in the creation of the plants, Since it was God who caused it to bring them forth, they were not the product of the powers of nature, generatio equivoca. I'll get back to that in a moment. In the ordinary sense of the word, but a work of divine omnipotence, by which the trees came into existence before their seed, and their fruit was produced in full development without expanding gradually under the influence of sunshine and rain. That's Kyle and Delish. Once again, as is my habit, if I have to look something up, I figure, well, maybe somebody else doesn't know what it means too. Generatia aqua veca, voca is Latin for equivocal generation. Makes sense? S- which is spontaneous generation involving the origination of a living organism from a living organism of a different Species. Darwin may favor that, but God doesn't. Let me repeat that. Kyle Endellis is saying this is not what happened. Spontaneous generation involving the origination of a living organism from a different living organism. In other words, something goes haywire in the genes in the and something different is made. No. God doesn't, didn't do that. This reference to myths or streams watering the land is difficult to place in the timeline of the first chapter. So we're probably better off not trying to force it into one place or another. Back to chapter 1, verse 12. With nominal rephrasing, verse 12 confirms that what was spoken in verse 11 was indeed accomplished and it was good. It happened just as God wanted it to happen. And thus day three of creation draws to a close in verse 13. Now I've left time for a little bit of Discussion or questions? Yes, ma'am. Well, regarding apple varieties, man had a lot to do with that. That was done. That was cultivated, wasn't it? I. Well, before I, l- let me pull a Rush Limbaugh before I say anything. Any any other thoughts on that question?
1: I don't think there's any question that both in animals and in plants, man has caused there to be hybrids not new not new entities uh like there's the the dog phylum and that includes it may include i don't i don't know for a fact but it may include hyenas and you know but they're all dogs so there's going to be and there there are new ones being produced daily uh there are dogs that are walking around now that there were no such thing 10 years ago but they're still dogs Mm -hmm. And, and they're they're not cat dog they're not horse-dog, they're dogs. So there are varieties that have been altered by man. So they, I, I doubt there were Pekingeses in the beginning. You know, that's a, that's a construct of man messing around. Uh, but are still dogs. I doubt there were pomegranates. Yeah. Yeah.
0: God wouldn't have. That was pomegranates? No, somebody, too weird, just weird. Somebody had a bad day, and Brussels sprouts, Brussels sprouts yeah. asparagus, yeah. cauliflower. Oi. Okay. That
1: came
0: after the fall. Yeah, yeah clearly after the fall. <laughs> youth before youth first. <laughs> youth before beauty.
1: Well, I would just say, and I think it's neat going back. You said. When God created things happened but they were not catastrophic. Mm. In evolution, that's basically what happened.
0: The Big Bang or catastrophic, but God it was in order. God planned it. It's that was that started. was Leupold who pointed that out. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that's important to remind ourselves this is all God
0: planned. Okay, but let's not forget what Allison asked here. You were you gonna speak to that? Or you, were you gonna, I was gonna go to s- see that I wasn't listening to those formal thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> here's how i would answer that for what it's worth you know what we've seen in these earliest days of creation we're only on day three is that god makes something and then he finishes it or he modifies it. it doesn't really change what it is like with the water the first earth is covered with water. Well, it doesn't stay that way for long. So that God does it step by step, process by process. And I think that same philosophy can be applied to other things that he creates. That Did he create every plant that would ever exist? I I don't think so. I think he created the basics. And, I mean, look what's happened to people over the centuries, over the eons, the millennia of mankind. Look what's happened to us. Depending on where you live, some people are shorter depending on where you live some people are taller some people look like me some people look like you only a little more meat okay a little let's let's get some fat on you the there is change that doesn't involve darwin in other words species do not leap from species to species a dog is a dog, a cat is a cat. I'll take the cats, please. Uh, but there's changes. Some, somebody's born. I mean, look at babies. They're, they're, they're different, aren't they? They aren't. They don't come out of a mold. Yeah. Okay, Patty. All right. Before your arm snaps off.
1: Well, I think God gives us the wisdom to make all of the changes and varieties as we. Are allowed to do by him. Some use it for evil, some use it for good.
0: Yeah, well said. But I think there's change that takes place without man's intervention. I think it, it, it's just the, the nature of nature. No, I'm I'm am saying there are changes that are good. I, I, I think that I think I see those hands uh, <laughs> be saved. Um, <laughs> I believe God created a world that would go through changes, just natural evolution. Has nothing to do with Darwin, has nothing to do with the theory of evolution. It just means that people and things change. Adapt. Adapt? Yes. Now, do you want to share that thought you had? Yeah, two thoughts. One, I think it's pretty clear, even just
1: archaeologically, if you look at fossils that have been uncovered,
0: there are species that are no longer around anymore. So I think there's change there. But on the issue of rain, are we, are we bait? Is the thought, I guess your thought specifically, there was rain prior to the flood and that the when in chapter two, six and seven, where it talks about the mist and that there had not been rain yet, is the assumption based on the, the people you've researched that when man came into the picture to begin cultivating, that rain happened then, because rain really isn't mentioned again until was it chapter seven? I don't necessarily subscribe to to the idea of mist becoming rain. Uh, that's some some I, more than one commentator subscribes to that. Okay, I mean we're uh, but because. If there's rain, there's rain. If if he says there there was no rain, so I so there's mist or streams. Uh, well, then that seems to tell me that it didn't become rain. Then it would say there was rain. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but but I all I'm my position is that we don't have to we there was rain before the flood, because man was cultivating the ground and. Uh, why create clouds if there isn't going to be any rain coming out of them? Of mm-hmm. I, I, Mike, and did no, Mike. We'll get to Mike.
1: I think in a uh, I, I was just going to say, uh, as far as. crops to basically to make them a plant that will fend off bugs and insects and all kinds of diseases has made them uh, nutritionally uh, valueless. On another part, uh, as someone who grew roses in in California uh, and loved roses, purple was my favorite color. Of course. The, the desire of everyone that in the rose industry is to make a blue rose
0: because that is a billion-dollar rose. Why? I don't know. But all it did was create more purple roses. <laughs> Dennis finishes out up here.
1: Uh, we're going to get to this. At the end of chapter one, it talks about God made everything, the animals and everything in their own kind. It says about six or seven yeah. times. So I think that's the key.
0: Their own kind. Well, in our passage today, yeah. of a kind, of its yeah. kind.
1: It's mentioned just.
0: Yes. So
1: that's a good thing.
0: Yeah.
1: But that doesn't mean everything that we see today, God
0: made initially. In the first six days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think too, if we look at the ark, the
1: ark couldn't hold all the animals that exist today. But it didn't need to. It only needed to hold two of every
0: kind. Kind. Yeah. Father, you have given us challenging text here at the beginning of your word, and we depend on your Spirit to help us understand it. Please, please help us. We want to get it right. In Jesus' name, amen.